Well, so glad that you're here. Hey, I want to jump right in, okay? So follow me. Take your study notes. We'll be filling those out in just a few moments. I have found that when you take notes, when someone is speaking, it helps bring back to memory. It's a, it's a helpful tool throughout the week of going back through there, looking up those scripture verses. I have found that it, it doesn't just kind of have a sermon and by Tuesday you're saying, what was the, the, the pastor talking about? I don't remember. This helps you bring back into memory throughout the week when you take care of those study notes. I, I invite you to be, we, we, we provide those uh, not just out of uh, something we like to do. We want to put tools in your hands that will strengthen you every day as you take next steps in, in obedience to, uh, to the Lord. On, on Super Bowl Sunday, we started a series called All In. I'm not talking about that today, but I did talk about a character named Abraham in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. And it was Abraham uh, who was 75 years old at the time when God said to him, Abraham, I'm going to use you and your wife Sarai, and you're going to give birth to a nation. You, The descendants of you that come out of, of, of your life, you and Sarai, they're going to outnumber the stars in the heaven. It's going to be a whole lot of people that come out of the line of Abraham. And all nations will be blessed by you, meaning that through Abraham and through the line of Abraham, through his seed, through that lineage, at some point Jesus would come. And Jesus has blessed all nations through the opportunity uh, to, to, to be sacrificed and, and uh, given as uh, the payment for our sin. And Abraham gets started at 75 years old. It's not until he's 99 24 years later that finally it comes to pass that his wife Sarah gives birth. He's 99, she's 90, 90 years old. This is an important story for me because two years ago when I became the pastor, almost three years now, when we were 88 years old, we're 90 years old as a church today, uh, this, this year, when we were 88 years old, I felt like the Lord kind of spoke to my heart saying, when you're 90, I want you to give birth like Sarah gave birth. And so this year we've been we we're we're in our second trimester everybody because we're we're getting ready to give birth and there's been some morning sickness I promise you that we're getting ready to give birth to a campus in Nacogdoches on September 10th, we're going to be giving birth to prison campuses uh, across East Texas, and, and, and we're pregnant with that vision right now, and it's coming. Delivery day is, is on its, in its way, and, uh, you know, metaphorically, I've been gaining weight just for that very reason. So, so I mean, you know, I, I look like I'm in my second trimester, so, but, but we, we, are, we are getting after it and excited about what God's going to do. But I bring up Abraham because I want to I share with you a little bit of history. Okay, I want to nerd you to death, but I want to share you a little history leading up to what we're doing today, okay? So, so Abraham gives, Abraham and Sarah, they give birth to a son named Isaac. Their son, Isaac. Isaac gets married and they give birth. Their first two children come out and they are twins. And it is Esau and Jacob. Esau and Jacob. Esau is the firstborn. He comes out, and as he's coming out of the womb, Jacob reaches up and grabs his heel. As he's getting out, he's like, no, you know. And they, 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 his mother named him heel grabber, which in that culture meant liar, liar. Wouldn't you be loved to just know, hey, what's your, what's your son's name? He's so adorable. We named him liar. <laughs> oh, big dreams. Big dreams for that one, you know. But Jacob basically meant that it, it, you know, heel grabber, liar, okay? It's why you get the old saying now, you're, you're pulling my leg, you're pulling my leg. It comes, actually originates from that whole concept of grabbing onto the heel of Esau. 
Well, Esau's the firstborn. He gets the firstborn rights. Uh, but, but on one day when he's hunting, Esau was a hunter, a man's man. Uh, he, you know, he, he had a big tattoo, Second Amendment. You know, and, and, and he, uh, uh, he, he, he loved the hunt. He was a man's man. And Jacob was on top chef. Uh, Jacob, Jacob was more a mama's boy. He's cool. He's cool. Um, He had a lot to, but but he was just more like, he liked the other things in life. He was like Bobby Flay, you know? So, 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 so Esau's coming in sweaty and dirty from a long hunt and and Jacob's in, in the kitchen, you know, cutting carrots, flipping them around like ratatouille, you know? So, so. Esau's so hungry coming out of this, this, this week of, of, of hunting. He says, man, I'd give anything for a bowl of porridge, a bowl of stew. And Jacob's like, well, coming right up. I've got this risotto already. He says, I'll give it to you to swap for your birthright. And, and here's a real quick nugget. Don't ever trade valuable things for temporary fixes. He was going to be hungry the next day. He was going to be hungry Hours later, but Esau traded one of the most valuable things in his life, the firstborn rights, to fill his belly once. And yet, haven't we seen that happen in your life or my life or those around us? It's easier for us to see it in lives around us. It's harder for us to see us in our own, where we trade awesome things for temporary hunger pains. Don't, don't be Esau. Like, that's the lesson in and of itself. We could pray and go home. Don't be Esau. Amen. <laughs> but sure enough, they swap, and, and, and Jacob gets the birthright, and they have to trick Isaac. This is his whole mess. I mean, this is this whole mess. Jacob, then he goes to work for his soon-to-be father-in-law, and when he finds his, fa- his soon-to-be father-in-law, his father-in-law has uh, some, some uh, 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 daughters, and there's one daughter in particular, Rachel. Woo! Rachel. Mm, crunching on Rachel. He sees Rachel at the well. He's like, <laughs> Rachel, mm, I'm going to like her on Facebook. <laughs> I send a friend request like today. And he says, give me the hand of Rachel, please. I was just like, she's so, she's just like, you know, you don't even know. You don't even know future father-in-law. Rachel's just like, uh, Twitter painted Bambi and everything. That was thumper, uh, thumping the, nobody caught that. So his wedding night, he's going to be given Rachel. And he, his father-in-law said, hey, you work for me. Work for me for a good amount of time, and, and I'll give you Rachel. And so that night, he gets married. It must, the kerosene lamps must have been low. Because it wasn't until the next morning after the honeymoon wedding night. He comes back into the tent with Starbucks coffee. And she turns on the bed. He's like, ah! <laughs> It's not Rachel. It's Leah. And the Bible says that Leah wasn't easy to look at. He's like, ah! Spills coffee. Ah! Leah's like, hey, baby. He's like, she's, she's, looking, she's looking at him. It's kind of, her eyes are crossed a little bit. And he's like, babe, are you saying baby to... Are you saying baby to me? How many coffees am I holding up? Okay. But what was done was done. What was done was done. And Jacob and Leah, they're, 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 uh, they're married. 
And uh, the father-in-law, what a great guy. He said, okay, keep working for me. I'll give you the other one, all right? The one you wanted in the first place, Rachel. And Jacob agrees. Now, this is a story that I, I could take all sermon to talk about. This is really a story about hurt and desperation and last, like, last moments of trying to make things right because Leah loves Jacob. She's the wife that is unloved by her husband. The wife who wasn't wanted. What's interesting about Leah, though, is she's able to give birth quickly. But Rachel, who Jacob loves deeply, is not able to give birth. Rachel will not give Jacob any children. And so Leah begins to give birth and and gives birth to several different sons, Reuben and and Simeon and another. and, And each name of each son is a cry for acceptance. The firstborn son, now he, my husband will see me. The next one, now he will hear me. Uh, the third son, the, the name means finally he'll accept me for who I am. It's the fourth son, Judah, that she has Leah, the unwanted, the unwanted wife. She gives birth to Judah, and the name Judah means Yahweh be praised. She moved from trying to get her husband to accept and find that love from her husband to say, okay, God, this isn't working I've got to give it to you. Can I just tell you, just on a pause, maybe you're in a marriage and that's what it feels like. Can I just invite you to, to put your love towards Jesus? Don't, don't, don't forsake your husband that you feel like is forsaking you. Don't forsake your spouse that you feel like has forsaken you. Fall in love with Jesus deeply. Let God Let God do his work. You're going to have to trust God to do his work. You have already tried to fix them. You can't fix them. You can, only God can fix that. But they can't fix your heart, and you've got to put your heart right. So Leah, Leah basically says, okay, Yahweh be praised. They have ten children through different maidservants, and Leah finally, finally Rachel, after all these years, finally gets pregnant. And she gives birth to her first child with Jacob and Rachel, and that child's name is Joseph. And that's why Joseph in the Bible is so important to Jacob. That's why it's so important. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. So Jacob and Israel are the same person. But it's why it's so important to the heart of Jacob that Joseph puts the coat of many colors on him. That's not just a Broadway show. That's like biblical. He just loves Joseph. And then the second child that Rachel gives birth to is Benjamin, the 12th, the final child. Joseph and Benjamin, and both were very close to Jacob. Now, Joseph grows up, and can I just tell you younger, how many of you are youngest children? You're the youngest in the clan. Let me give you some advice. You got a bunch of older siblings. Don't walk into the dining room one day or out in the middle of the garage one day and say, hey, had a dream last night. Nuts. Was crazy. There were like all, all of you, he gives this story about these corn these wheat stalks bound he said all of you basically and and my mom and dad they were bowing to me (laughs) i wonder what that means guys (laughs) they're like you know joseph is like that kid is like macaulay calkin the home alone jumping on the bed you know and buzz his older brother's like get out of my room you know that's joseph and he, 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 can I tell you, be careful who you share your dreams with. <laughs> like, it might find, you might find yourself thrown in a, in a pit, okay? And sure enough, 
He keeps talking about these things. You guys are going to bow down to me. Like, I'm going to be over. It's crazy. He's just sharing his heart. But you got to be careful who you share your heart with it, right? And those older brothers, they get, they get upset. They, they take him out into the field. They, throw, they, they beat him up. They throw him into a pit. They leave him there to die. And they said, we can't leave him here to die. So there's this vagabond group of slave traders that, come, that are coming through the, the, uh, the area where, they, where they've thrown him into the pit. And they get him up out of the pit and they sell him into slavery. Joseph is put in the back of that cart and he's taken into Egypt. And he is then traded on the slave block to a man by the name of Potiphar. And, and, and what we find in Potiphar and Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, we'll call her Hotiphar, because uh, she was hot after Joseph. That's a whole other sermon. I'll probably preach on that in a couple weeks. But, but, but Joseph, Joseph just serves wherever he is. Joseph just serves. And yet uh, there's this issue with, with Hotiphar that falls in love. She's a cougar. She wants him. And, and she, he says, leave me alone. And, and she, he, when he's running away from her, she grabs, she grabs his clothes, rips his clothes off. And it's like, it's like, rips his clothes, and, and all of a sudden, you know, the, he's just running out there naked. Potiphar comes home, and, and his wife, Mrs. Potiphar, says, he tried to rape me, and it's this whole mess. He gets thrown into prison, okay? So from, from dreams to the pit to prison, to Potiphar's house to prison, and it's there in prison. He meets a couple other people, and he interprets a dream for the Pharaoh in Egypt. And from that whole journey, Joseph gets lifted into a place of authority. And the whole dream he shared with his brothers, it actually got him to where he needed to go. Listen, sometimes when, when you have a dream of God and he wants to do something in your life, don't think that it's going to go from the dream to the palace. There, there's all these other steps that happen, like you're going to find yourself in a valley someday. And you say, I thought this, this wasn't the dream of God. Well, he takes us through things. He builds us through elements in our life, the good, the bad, the ugly, to take us where we need to go. There's some things you just can't learn unless you're in a crucible, unless you're in a, a pit situation. Some of you have been there. I've been there. But Joseph is lifted up into the, into the high places. Pharaoh gives him all, his ring and all kinds of responsibilities. And here's the moral of the story. Joseph and all of his brothers, they come and they join into to Egypt. They start living in Egypt. They begin, they, for 400 years, they live and they grow and they multiply. And the tribe of Israel, uh, the 12 tribes, the 12 sons, they all live in that area. And they begin to multiply, multiply, multiply. Well, as things progress in the economy, as things change in Egypt, uh, one Pharaoh after the next, after the next, eventually they forget Joseph and his authority way back in the day. And the Israelites become more of a nuisance, more of a, a problem. There's so many of them, they're multiplying like crazy, and they put them to work. They, they make them slaves, and they make them uh, build. Some of the, the world-renowned pyramids and things of our day were, were, were made by the Israelites in bondage. And, and they are forced into hard labor, and they've got rights taken away from them, and they're living as slaves in Egypt. And what, what do slaves that have no free time on their hands, they just work and then they go home? Well, they don't have a lot of options. They just have more babies. That's just what happens. And they just begin to grow, and they begin to grow, and they begin to grow. And it comes to the point where Pharaoh is concerned about the size of the nation of Israel, the Hebrew children. That he gives this decree that his, that his soldiers would go out and kill every male baby in the nation of Israel. It is mass genocide at an unbelievably, unbelievable record. 
and hundreds, if not thousands upon thousands of baby children are killed for population control and for fear of Pharaoh being overthrown by the Israelites getting organized. One such child that could have been killed was placed in a tiny basket and and placed on the river. And they prayed over that little baby and the baby floated down the river and and sure enough, a family from the kingdom, the family from the palace, found this little basket and pulled this baby boy out of the basket and they decided to keep this baby and raise this baby and, and that baby was Moses and Moses grows up in the house of the Pharaoh and, and he learns what the, 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 all the Egyptian stuff, he has royal, royal privileges, he gets the best education but he also finds out that he is not Egyptian, he is Hebrew and his heart is drawn towards these Hebrew children that are being to just humiliated day in and day out that have had a huge generation of their, of their family destroyed because of the mass genocide. And, and he sees one day this soldier beating on a helpless Hebrew slave and he comes in and he, he, he takes over and he kills that soldier. And he knows, uh-oh, I've just, I've just made a critical error and he has to flee for his life. And he leaves Egypt to escape prosecution and he lives out in the desert for years and years and years. He gets older. He, 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 he uh, grows in understanding. And we come to this point in the Bible where Moses is spoken to by God himself. God gives him direction on what to do. He calls Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 6, we get this story given by God to Moses. We get these scriptures. If you've gone through starting point, you've heard some of this. And a year ago, I gave this message in a series called The Four Cups, talking about four key promises that God wanted to give to the Hebrew children, four key promises that he wants to give to you and me today. Those promises are still in effect. And it starts with Exodus 6. Therefore, God says, say to the Israelites, I'm the Lord. And here's promise number one. And I want to bring them out. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. That was promise number one. I want to bring you out from where you are. Number two, I will free you from being slaves to them. Not only do I want to bring you out, but I want to get you thinking differently than slaves think. I may be able to bring you out of Egypt, but I got to get the Egypt out of your thinking, and I want to free you from being slaves and have that mentality. I want to redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. That's promise number three. I'll bring you out. I'll free you. I'll redeem you with that outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. And we see Moses come into Egypt and he brings power with him. He brings the power of God with him through signs and wonders and these these ten incredibly serious plagues that are placed upon the, the, the nation of Egypt. It's this, it's this uh, miraculous and dark moment, but it, 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 we would think that after uh, uh, plague number one, Pharaoh would have said, okay, you can have the people, just go get out of my, just get out of here, stop turning water into blood. That's really annoying, don't do that. Frogs everywhere, locusts, like I've had enough locusts up to here go but like everything hard in his heart he got harder and harder and angrier and angrier and bitter more bitter and more bitter and, and it was just this horrible situation but, but he doesn't stop there I want to bring you out I want to free you I want to redeem you and then he says I'm going to take you as my own people and I will be your God and then you'll know 
through that process, and every one of you need to know that through that process of God bringing you out and freeing you and redeeming you and taking you as his people and bringing fulfillment in your life, then you can really know the Lord who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And some of you, you're not, all of you, you're not under the yoke of the Egyptians, you're just under the yoke of sin, under the yoke of human sin. And God wants to bring you out, and not just bring you, but give you those promises. And so what happens is he provides these four promises of, uh, of God. The first promise is salvation. I'm going to bring you out. That's salvation. Some of you responded to that first promise in salvation today. But he says, I also want you to have freedom. I'm going to give you a promise of freedom that you can not only be saved, but you can live free. That you, you, don't, you don't have to, to, to stay a slave to the stuff that you keep messing up in. I, I need that freedom in my life. It's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to walk in freedom every day. He says, I want to restore you. And that's the promise of restoration, of redemption, and taking what was broken and, and restoring. I was talking about that earlier with the, with the iPhone. And then take you to a place of fulfillment. It's why, you know, when we have, uh, would, you, would you just stand up? On the back of uh, this guy's shirt right here, it says, your God-given potential is our mission. Your God-given potential isn't just, you know, aim high, shoot for the stars, you know. Thank you, buddy. Every dream teamer has a shirt that says, your God-given potential is our mission. And your God-given potential is not just to be saved and not just be freed from stuff holding you back. And not just saved and freed and then restored and made into discovering new purpose. But to find a life of fulfillment on this side of eternity. To find the joy of living this side of eternity, this side of heaven. And you won't find it unless you engage the promises of the living God. Who gave promises way back then, thousands of years ago. And these same promises are still available today. Now here's what happens. The final plague comes, and it is the plague of the death of the firstborn child. And, and, and Moses says, look, this is a serious plague. Every firstborn child in, in every home is going to die unless a family will take the blood of a lamb and will post on their doorpost, will, will, will paint the doorpost with the blood of a sacrificed lamb. If you will paint the doorpost with the blood of the sacrificed lamb, that, that angel will pass over, pass over your house. And that night, I don't, I don't want to imagine the sheer horror, the screams, the anguish, the, 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 the heavy, heavy darkness as some families painted their doors and they huddled together and they prayed to the God of Israel. And others screamed in agony at the body of their lifeless child. And that was the, the, the turning point in Pharaoh's heart. And he said, J get out. Just get out. And there they released. They're released from Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. Fifty days later, they get to Mount Sinai. And God gives them the tablets, the Ten Commandments, and 400 plus more laws. Not to give them on regulations and like to be, you know, not any fun. He was making them into a nation, culture, protecting them, giving them guardrails because they were going to need guardrails if they were going to live beyond the desert. And he gives them all these rules. And in the rules, in, in, in these laws, he, he also gives these different 
the, 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 the different rules about celebrations. Seven different parties. They've been slaves. They didn't know how to party. You know, isn't it nice we have a God that says, hey, we want you to party. So he gives them seven parties to, to have throughout the year. And one of them is the Passover celebration, the Passover feast. And in Exodus 12, it says, when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean? What does this celebration of Passover mean? Then you tell them it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. So when that angel passed over those houses that were covered by the blood of the lamb, Every year now, until you're dead, you celebrate Passover and you remember what he did. And now from then all the way until even this week, there, are, there is a celebration within Passover where they, they, they read that same scripture. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my own people. And they drink four different cups, one representing the cup of salvation or sanctification, one the, the, the cup of deliverance, one the cup of fulfillment, one the cup of redemption. They, they, they drink those cups. And now let's look at what else. In Luke 22, Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. One of the laws, and Jesus kept the law at that time, I'm going to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. Because I'm going to tell you, I'll not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now look, Passover celebration, you can celebrate. I think there's a big event even in the city that celebrating Passover. That's wonderful. But, but if you, I think it's a beautiful thing. But if you, if you, if you ever think that it has to be Jesus plus, Jesus plus. It is Jesus that brings fulfillment. After all, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's talking about, he says, take this cup from me. He's referring to that cup of fulfillment, that Jesus fulfilled all of the requirements of the law so that as we look to Jesus, that's, that's our requirement is to follow Jesus. He is the embodiment of salvation, freedom, restoration, and fulfillment. Amen? He's, he's the embodiment of all those cups. And he says, I'm not going to eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus did. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. So he's saying, now in the Passover celebration, I know you do all these things for the other stuff and you can still have your traditions. But this is my body, not just, not just bread, not just representative of the other things in the Old Testament. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Not just the Passover night in Egypt. Do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is a cup, is the new covenant in my blood, in my blood. Not the blood of just the lamb, my blood, which is poured out for and Jesus becomes the embodiment of the lamb on the doorpost, the lamb that would be, would be shared. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us, Paul says. Paul says Jesus is not just the son of the living God. He is the substitution. He is the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb. When Jesus goes into ministry and he's about ready to be baptized, John, uh, John himself says in John 1, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 104 different times Jesus is referred to as the Lamb. He's referred to as this Lamb. And it's very important to understand the connection between the need for a Passover Lamb and Jesus being our ultimate Lamb. So Christ, write it down in your notes, is our Passover lamb. Leading up into Thursday, into Passover, leading up into this week, you need to know Jesus is our Passover 
lamb. And so there are several different requirements of the lamb. Write this down. Number one, the lamb had to be spotless. If you were going to sacrifice a lamb for the celebration of Passover, that lamb had to be without blemish, had to be perfect. Uh, here, here's, here's what the, the, the Bible says. The lamb had to be spotless. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. In other words, don't just pick the runt of the litter and just kind of, well, we just got to do this. We'll just get it over with. It had to be something valuable. It had to be important. It had, you had to take the time to inspect and investigate the lamb. We, we get into Palm Sunday, and there's a very important moment here on Palm Sunday when Jesus goes into Jerusalem, and everybody's shouting Hosanna, and he's being uh, brought with fanfare. It's just this beautiful thing. But he gets up to the temple because everybody was going towards the temple for Passover celebration that week. And he gets towards the temple, and he goes into the court of the Gentiles, and he finds instead of the court of the Gentiles being open and, and, and open for business, there are tables set up, and they're selling. They're, they've jacked up the price of turtle doves and lambs, and they're making a dollar on the Passover. They're making special money on, on, on manipulating the people that were bringing their own lambs. Here's basically what was happening. The priest would come and investigate the spotless lambs that everybody was bringing for Passover. He'd investigate them, look, and say, uh-uh, this, this lamb isn't good enough. Here, we've got a lamb for you. We, we, we raise them in our own shepherd pens. Uh, we'll sell you one of ours, and then you'll have a good one. So basically, they, they wouldn't approve of those spotless lambs. They would have to buy their own lambs. It was basically a, a whole manipulated thing. Secondly, though, I'll just add this little tidbit, this nugget of information. The court of the Gentiles was used for those who were outside of the faith to step in and ask questions and learn about the story of God, to learn Judaism and possibly convert. And I find it interesting that Jesus gets upset. See, he goes Indiana Jones on those guys. He, he makes a whip. He's like, whoosh, da, 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 and he pushes over those tables. And, and he says, this is not what my house was intended to be. And he was also showing them that you need to provide space for those that are questioning, provide space that those that want to know the story and, and, and find, find God, you filled it up with just all your other stuff. Keep, keep what's priority. My house needs to be house of prayer, and people need to be able to connect with, with who God is. And so on Palm Sunday, we see that they, they, would, they were, they were uh, interfering with that spotless lamb, but the lamb had to be spotless. 1 Peter 1.18 describes Jesus like this. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Number two, the lamb was, and I put a blank there because originally I put a different word. Um, originally I put sacrificed. The lamb was spotless. The lamb was sacrificed. But don't write that word. I want you to write, a, it's a harder word. Sacrificed is true, but it's, it's, it's tidied up for us. Really, the truth is the lamb was slaughtered. And, and, and we've tidied it up in our 21st century Americanized Western religion, but the lamb was slaughtered. In fact, the Bible says, take care of them until the 14th day, the lambs of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. It was not a clean thing. It was dirty and it was loud. Could you imagine at twilight the sounds of crying lambs across Jerusalem? Just for a moment. Slaughtered. We, we, we forget that Jesus and the price he paid, he was, he was slaughtered brutally. 
It was ugly. It wasn't cleaned up some cantata situation you see on an Easter stage. It was it was brutal. And Isaiah, years, hundreds of years before the Messiah would ever come through Jesus, Isaiah writes, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, we are healed. That's not a tidy sacrifice. That's a slaughtering of the son of the living God. And it started with the Romans and their, their professionalism in executions taking a wooden handle with leather straps hanging with pieces of bone and rock tied in to those straps they would dip that in water to make it heavy and they they would beat the prisoner 39 lashes Jesus received across this shoulder across that shoulder down his spine he wasn't just sacrificed. He was slaughtered. And when you think about the, 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 just the shreds of skin, he's then taken to the Roman Praetorium where it was basically like the locker room for the guards. And he was just mocked and blindfolded and beaten. Oh, who's hitting you now? Who's hitting you? Can you name me now? Oh, Savior, Almighty God. Oh, Son of God. Okay, miracle worker. Free yourself from this. They'd spit it on him and rip his beard out. And they, in mockery, oh yeah, king, hey, what's a king without his crown, right? Massive thorns weave together this crown that pierced his head. And it wasn't just the symbolism of, of blood, it was the, the rushing of blood to his to his head and yet through that piercing and woundedness and punishment he pays for our peace so that when you when your head is full of pain when your heart is full of pain Jesus can say I know how you feel you have some people that say hey I know how you feel and they don't know how you feel they don't know what you went through but Jesus does because nobody's gone through what Jesus has gone through for you he went through it all he was slaughtered. And then, and then after all that, to be, be stripped naked and have to, in front of everybody, carry that massive wooden beam on his shredded back. He couldn't do it. Somebody else had to take his cross. Simon had to pick it up for him. So you now, you see him in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's sweating droplets of blood because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He knows what's coming. He knows what he's about to endure. And yet he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he's hung to a tree. And with that shredded back and broken and just, just beaten body with nails in his hands and in his feet he has to just just keep pushing himself up against that splintery cross and try and keep breathing and and it gets to the point of such exhaustion and pain and weight that isn't the cross that kills him his heart bursts his heart bursts which fulfilled prophecy because 
The Bible said in the book of Psalms that they pierced his side and blood and water flowed, and that's what happened with a burst heart. It also said that no bones would be broken, and the customary position of the Roman guards would be to speed up the process of crucifixion. They would break the bones in their legs to carry, speed up the crucifixion, the suffocation process. But before they could even break his legs, his heart had burst, and he did it all. He was slaughtered. And we've got our air conditioning, and we got our Easter services, and we got our, we got our fancy little communion cups, and our little pieces of bread that we bought from Brookshire Brothers. And all these are beautiful things. We're thankful for everything we have. But I just want to ask us, will we remember just how much he went through? This week leading up to resurrection, he went through it for us. The story that he rose is beautiful. We're going to celebrate that in a moment. I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. Stand right where you are. We're going to receive communion in this moment. In, in, this, in this moment of intensity in the message. I know this is a heavy moment. But it's the moment that he said, remember. As our team sings this song, I'm going to come back in a few moments and finish, finish the points that we have left. And it's only going to take me a few moments. You're going to be out of here. You'll be ready to go on with your day. But we need to remember the lamb that was slaughtered for us. So our ushers are going to come down at this time. They're going to dismiss row by row, starting with the first row. You're going to come out one way. You're going to receive the juice and the bread. You're going to take it back to your, your seat. And you're going to hang on to that until I come. And I'll lead us all in receiving those elements together. Do you have to be a member of this church to take communion? Not at all. You need to be a member of the family of God. If you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, you can receive communion. If you haven't done that, you need, to, you need to do some spiritual inventory of your heart before you would ever receive the, the, the communion elements. It's an important thing to remember and not take for granted. So ushers, would you go ahead and start serving? Uh, be, begin to release each row, and then you'll go back to your seat. We'll sing this together as we, as we walk down the aisle to receive communion. I'll come and I'll finish our message today.
moment I could dismiss you but I want I want you to hear just one more element of what the lamb was supposed to do so that you can leave with an assignment today an assignment for Easter to not leave empty-handed but to leave with an assignment so quietly I want you to just sit right where you are Carly just keep playing the piano I want to share this final thought with you. Write it down in your notes. The lamb was shared. 
So not only was the lamb spotless, not only was the lamb slaughtered, but we see through the Old Testament that the lamb had to be shared. It was a responsibility of the Israelites. Look at this, look at this. Exodus 12. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. In other words, don't you waste the lamb. Everybody's supposed to sacrifice a lamb at Passover, but don't you dare waste any of the lamb. You share that lamb with as many neighbors that will come and be a part. And can I say something to you? It's, it's our responsibility to share the lamb. There's enough lamb, there's enough Jesus to go around to feed our city, feed our community, touch our families, touch our friends, be enough for our children. And it's our responsibility as, as good neighbors, as, as good followers of God to share the lamb. You know, one thing I get, I get all the time about this church, and it's really, it's kind of surprising because it doesn't feel this way to me, but it does feel this way to some on the outside. They, they say, I'd come to your church, I'd come to that church, but that church is too big. Any, anybody ever had somebody say that? Oh, I got some amens on that. Whoa, that church is too big. I, I've heard it too. Can, can, can I say something? <laughs> this church is too small because there's still more lamb. And until heaven is full, there's more lamb. Until heaven is full and the gates are closed, growth is not an option. And empty seats are a big deal because there's lamb to be shared. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. That's his job. Not counting men's sins against them. We love to count men's sins against them, don't we? But he said, I'm going to reconcile the world to himself through Christ. I'm not going to count sin against them. Then he gives us the responsibility for our part. And he has committed to us. And he has committed to who? Us. The message of reconciliation. So God does the reconciling, but he commits to you and me the sharing, the message of reconciliation, the message of balancing this relationship between God and man. And he places it in your hands and he says, hey, 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 there's lamb here, everybody. The lamb is here. There's plenty to go around. And he's given us the, the, the responsibility committed to us, this message of kindness and reconciliation. So Passion Week Write it down. This is our opportunity, everyone. As Timber Creek, we, we, this is an opportunity. It's our opportunity to share the lamb. And how are we going to do it? How are we, we going to do this? Number one, we're going to pray. I'm inviting you to pray, but pray very specifically. And here's what we're going to pray over. We're going to pray over this, this scripture. 1 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The Bible says the God of this age, lowercase God, lowercase g, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they can't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. There are a lot of people that they've heard the Easter story but they've never seen the Easter story. They've, they've heard it but they haven't really seen it because they've had blinders on. Maybe you have a friend like that. They've been in church but they never really saw it for what it was. We want to pray that that not just for people, we want to pray that the blindness that, that is keeping people from seeing the light, that, that this Easter, this next Easter week and Easter Sunday and the, the weekend services, the blinders would come off. They would not just hear the message, they would see and respond to the message of hope 
found in Jesus. Number two, I'm asking every one of you to invite somebody. Invite somebody to church. Invite someone to our Easter services. Right there on your seat, you see these, uh, these cards right there. You know what these are? These are not invite cards. These are passports. These are passports. This is somebody's potential passport to be invited into a new place in Christ. And I'm, I'm asking you to pray over these invite cards and invite and bring someone with, to, to you, with you to church on Easter weekend. Friday at 6 p.m., Saturday at 6 p.m., Sunday 8.30, 10, and 11.30. That, that is five English services. And on Friday and at the 10 o'clock on Sunday, we have our Spanish. We're having seven services. We're, we're, we're opening the table. We're opening our seats in our facility to invite those to come. And you're gonna, you, you've got to do your part to invite. Can I tell you something? Their people are more, just more open to coming to church with you at Easter time. Put me to the test. Put me to the test. Put that to the test. Try it. Try it. They say, man, they sent me an ugly text. Well, you know what? I'll show you a text to send back to them, okay? A good one, too. A good one, too. A prayer emoji. You know? <laughs> Invite. Invite. Now, I'm going to give you this last. Uh, I, I, look, look at this. Invite anyone. Who? Anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That's why we're a church. Anyone can come to him. Because anyone can call on the name of the Lord. Nobody's too far gone. But who can ask them to save them unless they believe in him? Because that's why you, you're saved is if you believe in him. But how can they believe if they've never heard about him? And, and how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Guess who the anyone is? It's anyone. Guess who the someone is? It's us. finally, I'm going to give you the last scripture, not the last fill in the blank. Because when I give you the last fill in the blank, I know what happens. You fill in the blank, you're ready to go. You're ready to go. So I'm going to hold on to that blank until the very end. Some of you OCD people aren't going to get the blank until I say, and you're dismissed, and here's the last blank. Okay? In a loud voice in Revelation 5, they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. There was a participation with a loud voice. Listen, you say, I don't like church. The church church too loud. You're not going to like heaven. It's going to be loud. It's going to be loud. Heaven's going to be loud. They sang in a loud voice. They participate. Participate in the worship. I'm asking you, when you come on Easter... There's two different ways you can participate. Participate with giving God your best by just being here and smiling and being friendly to people. But another way is you can serve. This is one way. You don't have to go through starting point to be a greeter, an usher, a host. A beat. We'll, we'll, we'll give you all the details. I want you to come to a service and then serve as many services that is as humanly possible for you to serve that weekend. Participate participate in our Easter experience and I, I, I'm going to give you a little hint I'm going to ask anybody to ask Jesus into their heart and when I say when I, when I say hey close your eyes and bow your heads and I say nobody looking around I'll tell you what if you bring someone well, you can open one eye if you need to accept Christ you can open one eye and just see and, and be praying for them it's okay you can do it just be between us okay because I believe I believe 
some of your friends, relatives, associates, the neighbors are on an intersection with life change. And it's going to happen. Do your part. Do your part. Jesus, we pray over our Easter services right now. We pray that you would fill the house. That you would fill the house. We will go out to the highways and byways and compel them to come into your house so that it may be full. But you will stir the hearts. Go before us, Lord. That this Easter would be an incredible celebration of life change as we celebrate the life of you and the resurrection of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've come to the final part of our, of our service. If you receive Christ today and you, you, you ask in your life, this is where you would drop that, that connect card in. If you're a guest, we're going to receive our offering, and this is your chance to drop the offering, uh, your, your offering in, your connect card. If you're a guest, drop it in. So thankful that, you, uh, that you're with us today. Um, last week was our Big Give Sunday, and we had, like I said earlier, record low attendance. Um, but, but some of you didn't get to hear the results of where, where we've been going. Some of you did. And so you're going to hear this for a second time. And I'm asking those of you that are hearing it for a second time, if you'd still give it some good gusto too. We're going to celebrate some things. Because you weren't here because of the weather and everything. We're going to celebrate together what God has done through the All In Initiative, a two-year program to get us launched into these campuses, into new into new safe havens for, for children of sex trafficking, to, to, to launch some water wells. We're, we're, I mean, we're to build out this campus more, to create more space, all kinds of cool things. And this, though, it was all a discipleship journey. And I talked about throughout that discipleship journey and all in, if you weren't here, about these different places we're giving. Everybody's a potential giver, but not everybody gives, and you're still welcome at this church. If you never give anything, you're welcome to have a seat in this church, okay? But we want to invite you to take a next step, and we invited people to take a next step to emerge and do something about, about stewardship and giving to the kingdom of God, and some to go beyond just every once in a while to become consistent in their giving weekly or monthly. Say, I'm going to make this a behavior in my life in the same way I monthly have to pay my phone bill. I'm monthly going to give to the Lord in the kingdom of God. Some of you, you said, you know what, I'm inviting you to become a tithe giver, and that's giving 10% of your income, your annual income, giving when you receive a check, the first 10% comes off, and it goes into the storehouse to go towards the, the kingdom expansion. And then we said, hey, some of you, you've been doing that for a long time, or maybe you've never even gone on this ladder, but you say, I'm going to go beyond that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get here. I'm going to become an extravagant giver. And so we celebrated these numbers, but can we celebrate it one more time for those that weren't here? Can we do that? Here's here, here it is. So I'm starting with extravagant because I'm going to get to the really good stuff with those that are for the very first time emerging into giving. For our extravagant givers, those that say, you know what, I want to go above and beyond. God's calling us to this. We had 99 families say, I want to become extravagant givers. Come on, that's awesome. That's awesome. So proud of you. So proud of you. And I'm equally as proud as those that you said, hey, I, you know what? We've never really been faithful with that 10%, the tithe, which means 10. And we want to we trust God for that 10% to give him the first of, of everything we receive, that first 10%. We had 74 families. Come on. Say, we want to jump into that next step. That's awesome. That's awesome. 
consistent givers that, you know, we, we come consistently with shoes on our feet, but we don't come consistently thinking about giving. And they said, we want to become consistent in giving. And we had 53 families say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step up into that. But emerging givers, those that go from zero to one, and those of you that are extravagant, tithe, consistent, uh, uh, you know how hard it is to go from zero to one on something. And I'm telling you, come on now, I want you to put your hands together in just a moment for this group that's stepping out in faith. I love that we have such a diverse church. Everybody's on a journey. We're not all becoming extravagant. We would, we would use that money to good use, but we're all on a journey together. And that's what I love about it. So let's give it up for the 97 families that said, we're gonna start giving for the first time. How cool. And it goes way beyond finances. It goes to our time. It goes to our talent. It goes to sharing the lamb, being part of our story. The next generation from birth to high school, you know what? They committed in their own little, in their own little groups. I love this, these little kids and these youth and these, you know, juniors and high, seniors in high school. $22,643. They said, we're going we're gonna to give over the, next, over the next season. Very cool. And, and, I, and I went through this real long thing where I showed all these different numbers. But I'm not going to do that today because we did it last week. But, but, but here, here we are. Through the faithfulness of God's people, we, we set out and, and the goal was never the financial number. The, the, the goal that we've celebrated is people taking a journey in discipleship. That's been the number. That's been the goal. Those families taking a step of faith. That's what's important here. But through all of this, you as a church family, our adults, our family, over the next two years, are you ready? You've committed $7,051,432. Come on, let's celebrate God. Let's celebrate God. Not a number, we're celebrating God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And so we had our big gift Sunday last week, and there were so many people that weren't able to give because they weren't here. And so today we're, we're giving you that, that extra opportunity uh, to give. If you need to check your, 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 your uh, offering envelope, you can give online to lufkin.org. But this starts our two-year two-year process where everybody's, you, you've made commitments. And if you haven't made a commitment, I'm not going to twist your arm to make one. If you haven't, go pray about it. And if you feel led of the Lord to make a commitment, then when, you're, when you and God have talked and He's spoken to you, and join us in this. And if you haven't joined, this is still your church home. I want you to know that. We're going to go do this together and God is going to be given the glory for what he does through us over the course of the next decade of ministry. Would you stand with me? We're going to receive our offering now. Receive our connect cards, our giving. If you have a commitment card to put in, but let's, let's give with a cheerful heart, the right heart, amen? Let's sing this together. Let's give and then I'll dismiss you.